All right. Good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in Philippians 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Philippians 3. We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Such a peaceful place, such wonderful singing and worship to get ourselves into that, just that into your throne room where we can receive from you everything you have for us. And we just thank you for that, to to bring us down and um, lift us up at the same time. So I pray that we'd let the things of this world grow strangely dim, that we might be able to focus on the eternal, the permanent, uh, the real. And I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And thank you for Paul's heart to write this letter to these folks from his dark place to their, to their place where they, where they were doing much better than he was, but he had such a heart for them, such a desire for them to do well. He warned and encouraged, uh, even corrected a little, but it was all for their sake because his, his love was set upon them. And so we want to receive that tonight, your love set upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul does have such a shepherd's heart, such a love for these people, all the folks that he writes to. He couldn't get them off off of his mind. He would pray continually for them. Um, That's a lot of burden to carry for someone, to be so concerned about every single soul that you've ever ministered to. And Paul had that heart. And that's because that's the heart of Christ. I think that's the beauty of these letters. As we see Paul and we think, oh, wow, Paul, what a great guy. What a, what, a, what a wonderful shepherd. Well, he has all that because he has the mind and the heart of Christ. So know that about yourself tonight, that Christ has that heart for you, that desire for you. He wants you to do well. He wants you to win. He wants you to succeed, have victories in your life. He wants you to be careful and to be warned and to watch out. And um, he wants all those things for you. And so he puts this all in this beautiful book for us and encourages us in these things. And so in this chapter, chapter three, he talks about, um, well, he talks about religion and the danger of it. Understand that. And I, and I don't know that we really probably comprehend this. The, the, the most consistent subject, I think, of Paul's letter is this subject we're about to read. In, in the sense that it's almost in every single thing that he writes, is watch out for those who try to religion you. Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh, is dropped into this world, came into this world, and puts himself right in the middle of religion. And those were his adversaries. That was his problem. That's what crucified him, were those folks. You know, there's a whole lot of threats out there, I think, right? We watch the news all the time. We're like, well, that's a threat to our our heritage, to our Christianity. That's a threat. And we go through all these things. Probably the last thing on our minds, or we would put number five or six on our list, is those who just have religion without a relationship with Christ. These are the folks that are, have the appearance of Christianity. They have the look of it. They're, uh, they have a mask on, so to speak. We wouldn't know it. They, you, you don't know until you, until you have a relationship with Christ. That you, can't, you can spot the difference then. But until you 
have that relationship with you until you're born again. You don't, you don't know the difference. And, and so that's why most unbelievers would say, do you know how many crimes have been done in the name of Jesus throughout human history? And you, that's the argument. And I don't want to have anything to do with that Christianity. That was not done by born again believers. It was done by those with the mask on in the name of, 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 of religion. So Paul warns these brand new born again believers in Philippi to watch out for that. And the way he describes these folks, they are the worst of the worst. They are their biggest threat. It's not Rome. He's not even talking about them. He rarely talks about, now watch out for Rome. What you got to do is build an underground railroad in the sense that you can get from house to house. Doesn't talk about any of that. Talks about the religious rulers that are trying to, to steal what Christ has given them. And so hopefully we understand that. And about this chapter, Paul's heart for these folks to stay They don't have to do anything special. They just have to remain in that freedom of Christ. That's how he started the Galatians letter. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? How did you turn so soon from that freedom you had into this religious legalism? So chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, and although he says that, he's not done. (laughs) He's a good pastor, right? Last thing I want to tell you. Well, The 10th to the last thing I want to tell you. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. I'm going to write to you something that you've heard, I don't know how many times, but many times. And it's not tedious for me to do this. I'm not saying it like, uh, have you cleaned up your room? Have you cleaned up your room? Have you cleaned? I'm not doing it like that. I'm doing it because it's for you. It's, it's to keep you safe. A reminder. I hear myself up here. Don't think that I don't. I catch myself like, oh my gosh, this is the 12th time you've told this exact same story. In fact, everybody in the crowd could finish it for you. I know. I know. It's not that I'm running out of material. (laughs) I mean, we've got a lot. It's that we've done this so often together. We've been together for so long that we're going through the menu again. And let's keep it that way. Let's understand that about this. I don't know what fruits you like. like If I was teaching a, a, um, let's just say, 8th, ninth, and 10th graders, they're a funny group. They're a difficult group. But if I was teaching them and I said the wrong fruit like banana, they'd say, well, I don't eat bananas. So please don't do that in your mind. I hate bananas anyway. Don't do that. Pick your favorite fruit. But for the example, I'm going to use bananas. I had a banana once, but that doesn't mean that's the last time I'm going to eat a banana in my lifetime. I'm going to have it again and again and again because of the nutritional value and because I love bananas. they got to be in the right condition, though. I cannot do a green one. If there's any green on it at all, no. Well, you know the sugar level rises. every Exactly. That's why I love the overripe bananas. I like the sugar level. Okay? So don't talk to me about that. 
God's word is like that. It's a well-balanced meal. God, and that's why we go Genesis to Revelation because it's portioned correctly. That subject seems to be hit on five times in Scripture because that's exactly how much you need in the amount of time you go through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Well, that Scripture or that subject about that topic seems to be like 27 times. I mean, enough already. No, that's how many times God said in his word, I want you to hit on that subject. I'm not knocking it, but I kind of will. I guess it'll sound that way. To teach the Bible any other way than verse by verse, chapter by chapter, will give you an unbalanced meal because I choose then. Well, I think we need to hit this. Let's, let's do another marriage series. And then we're going to wait four years and do another marriage series. All of a sudden, we're doing nothing but marriage. And the single people are like, I got it. I'm just waiting for the fact where that is applicable to my life because I'm not married. You know, you go through Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and you'll get that well-balanced diet. And yes, you'll hit bananas every once in a while so often. I, don't know, I know that already. Oh, we need to be reminded. And Paul says, it's not tedious for me to do that. I'm not doing it because you didn't hear me. I'm doing it because it's needful. Peter says the exact same thing. I remind you of these things. I know you know them. I know you've already been taught this stuff, but I remind you. So here's what he's reminding them of. It's his first two. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. That's all the same group. Okay, the mutilators are those that are coming in behind Paul and seem to just follow him about, they're about you know, three months behind Paul. So Paul teaches, does his thing, and leaves, and three months later, these folks come in, and they're the mutilators. They're the ones that say, I understand you've received Christ. I know you're born-again believers, but you must be circumcised. You have to become a Jew to get saved. Follow the law, obey the Ten Commandments, be a Jew and a Christian at the same time. You need that. And he calls them these three things. They're not different groups. Those that come in with that these are the folks that are doing the right thing most of the time. You know what I mean? They're the good people of the earth. They're not the Romans that are crucifying people. They're the folks that are trying to obey the same God that born-again believers. You understand that? They're, they're supposed to be friendlies. Paul calls them mutilators. He calls them evil workers. They're disrupting what Christ has begun in the new believer, the born-again believer. They're taking away the grace and the faith and the mercy that God has offered them and replacing it or tainting it, at the very least, with this mutilation that follows, the circumcision. He calls it mutilation because to be circumcised after being a born-again believer is nothing more than mutilating your genitals. That's all it is to, to God. It has nothing to do with your faith. It does not increase it. does not make it sure. does not make it anything other than what it's just, you're just mutilating yourself. And that's what these people bring. They're evil workers. He says they're dogs. Now we in America think of our dogs. <laughs> we put sweaters on our dogs. You can't think that way. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Packs of wild dogs that would roam the countryside. And I don't know if you've ever seen those kind of dogs before. Probably not. We handle those things around here. But back then, there they were. And if you saw a pack of wild dogs, diseased, mutts, you know, 
skinny, scrawny, looking at you like you're a meal, but also carrying with them the disease. If they bite you, you're dead. And there was no doctor to go to. You couldn't go to a doctor after you got bit by one of these things. It was that deadly. To, oh, there's a wild group of dogs. Steer clear, Paul says, steer clear of those dogs. Because they're going to bite you and it's terminal. It's that big of a deal to him. It's, it's almost the, the biggest warning he gives. You know? And I think we need to pay attention to that because the same problem exists today. I have conversations with people, and it is not, I try not to let it show on my face, but my peace returns to me when I'm talking to these folks that call themselves believers. And I don't know if you know what that means, your peace returning to you. Um, when Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, he said, I want you to go to every town, every village, and so on. And if, you're, and, and, and if they welcome you, great. And if, they, if your peace returns to you, kick the dust off of your feet and walk away. In other words, they're, they're not like-minded. They're not going to receive you. They're not... They're not open. And I'll talk to these Christians, and it's, or what they, they call themselves Christians, and I'm like, I don't have a koinonia with you. I don't have that oneness of spirit. The Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit in you are not making connection here, and I don't know what the problem is. It could be me. I'm always open to that. But I'm leery, because I don't have that with most born-again believers, if I'm all born-again believers. I'm like, oh, we get it. You know, I don't even have to know your name, and I can tell by the conversation, oh, there's peace. There's humility. There's an understanding of who Christ is. He's all in all. That kind of relationship exists immediately when I start talking to them. Others, I'm this group, and I go to this church, and I do this thing, and I, don't, I heard a lot about Calvary Chapel. Okay, what about us? I mean, we're not that bad. We just like the Bible. I mean, we're not weird or anything. I don't think. You guys like the Bible, right? Well, yeah, we teach the Bible. Well, so do we. Okay. And maybe there's just that, I don't know who you are kind of thing. But why, why, why do I have that koinonia or that oneness with people I've never met, but we both know we're supposed Christians, but we don't have this. Something's missing. And I'm not saying we're supposed to go around with our, you know, spiritual divining rods. You know what those are, where they find water, you know, and I go over your head. Oh, you're a Christian and you're a Christian. I don't know. But Paul is warning them, beware of these people that come in and they're going to look just like the religious people you've always looked up to, but they're not born again believers. And they're taking you someplace that I don't want you to go and God doesn't want you to go and their work is not of God, it's of, he said, they're evil workers. Just because someone names the name of Christ doesn't mean that they're looking out for your best interest or that they're even born again believers. Saying you're a Christian doesn't mean you are at all. Saying that you worship the same God as the the Philippians do here, doesn't mean they're of you. Doesn't mean they have any part of Christ. He puts an exclamation point there in his text to these folks. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Now he goes on to describe, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. Let me break that down a little bit. 
We're the circumcision. We're the circumcision and we worship in the Spirit. We're the folks that rejoice in Christ Jesus. We're the ones that have no confidence in the flesh. We're supposed to be those people. I don't have any trust in that. I don't have any faith in that. Your circumcision means nothing to me. That doesn't bring faith to me. That doesn't increase me. That doesn't bring me. I have no confidence in that at all. They do, but I don't. Romans 2.28 talks about that circumcision that's made without hands. You have been circumcised spiritually. That's what needs to happen to every human being, even if they've been physically circumcised. If they have not been spiritually circumcised, they have no part in him. That's the part that has to happen. I'm all for baptism. I'm all for doing whatever you want to do, but it... You have to be a born-again believer before any of that stuff takes effect or has any validity. You don't get baptized before you're born again. You be, you're born again and then you're baptized. As I had this conversation with this person, it was this week. Um, I guess I'd never been more keenly aware of the difference, I guess. I don't mean to pause. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm trying to formulate my words carefully. Because I don't want to, I want them to have what we, what a born-again believer has. I assume everybody here. And if you don't have that, you need to have that. That walk in the spirit, that worshiping God in your spirit, not out of duty or responsibility or or from ritual, you know? It's concerning. There's a, such a difference. There's such a drastic difference. And, and then it shows up in their life. One of the big things that uh, people say about Mormons in Utah is, and Seth was there for a couple of years, and, and he says, oh, my goodness, you know, oh, my goodness. There's such a facade, you know, there's such a facade. There's such a, this is what they appear in the clean cut and wonderful and just great manners. But at home, it's horrific in their homes, he says. And I'm sure that's the case for, for many situations. And it's not just them, though. It's anybody that has a facade of religion. It doesn't have to be Mormon. It's, as wrong as the doctrine is. Don't get me wrong. There's a different Jesus. It's a different gospel altogether. But as wrong as that is, it's just as wrong to put on a religious facade, a face, and go to our church or any church. It's dangerous. Not only to the person wearing the mask who thinks they have an appearance of religion but have no power, you know, but also to the people that associate with them thinking, well, they're a religious person. I mean, they've been going to Calvary for years. It doesn't mean anything. And so I want us to hear this because we're to be careful of these things. I'm to watch out and guard the grace and the mercy and the, the forgiveness that God has given me. I mean, with everything that I have. I mean, that's what the armor's for. I put that on, and I, I think we're surprised at who we're supposed to wear that armor for in front of. We think it's for the, the folks doing drag shows out there. Mm, it is, you know. But there's a much closer enemy that we're unaware of, I think. And so Paul calls it out. Watch out for these guys. 
You have everything you need. You have a walk in the Spirit that they don't have, that they need. Have no confidence in the flesh. Christ is forever trying to make us and conform us into His image. He is a, what do you love about Jesus? I love His forgiveness that He has. I love His mercy. Right? I love His compassion. I love His joy. What, what isn't there to love? But those are some of the... Well, I want you to have that now. I want to conform you into my image. I want you to have lots of forgiveness in your heart. I want you to have lots of mercy. I want people to love about you the same thing they love about me. You know what that means, don't you? That means that he's going to bring a lot of people into our lives that need forgiveness from us. Oive, right? That means I have to be wronged a lot so that I can produce a lot of forgiveness for them. I have to have a lot of people do things to me so I have lots of mercy coming out of my life. Uh, It's different, isn't it? I have to have a lot of enemies around me so that I can love my enemies and not just my friends. That's not how I live my life. I get rid of all of my enemies. And I keep my nice friends that like me and love me as close as possible, which is good. I mean, it's a support group, I guess is what we call it. But it doesn't mean I'm not supposed to have a bigger circle, right? How do I get conformed into the image of Christ if I'm not given the opportunity to do the things that Christ does, right? So Paul warns about this. Don't. They need what you have. You don't need what they have. That's the the thrust of this. But if we're going to talk about the flesh, let's measure pedigrees, Paul says. Let's talk about this. They're boasting about how they're, I'm of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Who, Who are you, you know? Okay, he says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, colon. Here's his pedigree. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I've been going to church from day eight, right? I got circumcised that day. Probably you could check the guys that came to you. Check their day of circumcision. Did they get there on the 8th or the ninth or the 7th? Did they do it wrong? Mine was on the 8th day, like the law says. Of the stock of Israel, and that means the best of the best of breeding, of the nation of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, that's one of two tribes that were the favorite. Two tribes came from Rachel, Jacob, Israel's true wife that he always wanted, not Leah. You know, but Rachel, the one he was really, he spent 14 years trying to get her. I'm, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm the little, little brother, you know, of the favorites. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I was in charge of the Hebrews, part of the Sanhedrin, part of the, I was the top 80 Israelites in the nation. I was a part of the Supreme Court, basically, when it comes to the law. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. I wasn't even on the Sadducee side. I was on the Pharisee side, the back to the Bible gang, you know? Everybody was scared to death of them. Me, he says. Concerning zeal, you want to talk about being zealous and not just like a kind of Hebrew? I persecuted the church. I was the one pulling people out of houses and putting them in prison because they were believing in this Jesus guy, you know? Zealous? Yeah, I was zealous. I stood at the feet of the stoning of Stephen, of all people. Concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. 
Nobody says that. Oh, when it comes to keeping the law, blameless. I bet they're not. He's saying, I've done all that. I've been, I'm not talking about them. Like I read a book on them, you know? Oh, that's those guys. Oh, yeah. Well, the Pharisees, I think they believed this and that. No, I was one. I was delivered from all of that stuff. I've been where they are. I've been better than they are. I was above all of them. If I was still in their group, I'd have led them here, is the idea. Follow this. But what things were gained to me, the things he just listed, these I have counted loss for Christ. And I want you to take note of that because he traded them. He did not add Christ to them. He traded them. All that stuff that I just mentioned, nothing compared to the gain that I have in Christ. I got rid of them. I didn't mesh it in. They're trying to mesh it in. I traded them. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul did the list that we read earlier of the law because he loved God and because he wanted to get close to God. Make no mistake about that. Every religion, that's what people want. I don't care if you're Muslim Hindu, Buddha, or Judaism, they're doing these things. They go into that faith because they want to get right. Now, they're just wrong about how they do it. They're going through all these things that they think is going to be pleasing to God. They were told this is right. They're going to try to make themselves better. I'm going to beat myself harder. I'm going to discipline myself more. I'm going to work, 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 just so that God will look my way one of these days as he's parading by. That's all Paul wanted. And when he realized that the just live by faith, it broke him. That's what broke Paul. He's talking about all these rules and regulations, and when he finally got to the law that states you shall not covet, he says, how do I fix that? That's not a doing thing. That's a thing inside my heart that's in my head. I can't stop myself from coveting. How do I quit that? Only God can. That's where he was broken. I can't do that. I can not murder. I can not commit adultery. I can tithe. I can love God. I can worship every day like I'm supposed to. But to not covet, that's a heart issue. How do I stop that? The just live by faith. That broke him. He received in Jesus Christ in one moment, in one simple act of faith and believing on Christ, everything he'd tried for before and found himself empty. Legalism leaves you dangling over hell for the rest of your life. And you wonder if I ever, you have no confidence, you have no understanding, you have no idea whether you're going to make it or not. You just hope my good deeds outweighed my bad, that my obedience outweighed my disobedience. And that scale is constantly running in your mind. 
I don't know if you're there tonight. You need to be set free from that. Christ wants to do for you what you could not do for yourself in one fell swoop. Believe on Jesus Christ. Trust in that salvation that he's done for you. He imputes, he gives his righteousness to you. The righteousness you've been trying to attain through all these legal means, through all these rituals, wiped clean. I'm just giving it to you. The religious people, these dogs that he's talking about, are terrified of that gospel. They think that's going to produce mediocre, cotton candy Christians. People that are just going to sit around and say, I guess I'm saved and put it in my back pocket. They have no idea the power of that grace. They've never experienced it. Grace produced in me something that me being brought up in a religion could never produce. In one moment, I was absolutely changed and transformed. Now, there were habits and I mean, there's a lot of things God needed to fix and get rid of me, get out of me. But the closeness to God was instantaneous. I was in fellowship. I was broken. I was in tears. I felt his love pouring into me. My love was pouring out to him. It was this relationship that I always wanted, never knew I needed, never knew it could be possible. And there it was. Just, just gave it to me. What love is this? Oh, my goodness. I've never felt anything like this before. The religious have never experienced that, so they're still very nervous about this gospel you're preaching. It sounds like cheap grace to me. It's not. I'm fully aware of the cost. I just can't pay for any of it, neither can you. It's absolutely counter to what Christ tried to do. You cannot pay for it yourself. He has to pay for all of it. You have to receive the free gift of salvation. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay him back. This is so vital. God did not drop you as a born-again believer wherever your circle is for no reason. It's not because there were a bunch of born-again believers there already. It's because whatever religious people are around you that have never experienced being born again They need to see it in you. It needs to spread. The most difficult people to minister to are not those that are lost and practicing witchcraft and satanic worship or whatever it is. The most difficult people are those that have put on the religious face, the facade, and have been told that's it. That's Christianity. That's your salvation. Oh, phew. I was wondering. They never even touched it. They've never been born again. They've never been flooded with God's love to the point where you have to say, stop, Lord, no more. I'm full. I can't take it anymore. If you've never experienced that, you need to ask him. You need to receive it. Let go of all of that stuff you've ever learned. Count it as dung, like Paul says. All those good Jewish things that he did that were actually commanded by God to do, although that was tainted and messed up in his mind, he used it wrongly. He was doing everything the law told him to do. And yet was empty and weak. And knew it. And in one moment, Christ filled him with what those things could never fill him. It's amazing. 
God wants to do that for everybody, but you've got to count it as tongue. You've got to count it as loss. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained. I know that I'm a work in progress that it never, ever ends, that I've, I'm not going to attain until I'm perfected, he says. Or I'm already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now he's not saying I'm trying to be saved. I'm trying to be religious. I'm trying to be faithful. No, he's saying I'm trying to be conformed. The born again salvation happens instantly to people. That's how it works. That's what God does. Done. The changing and the transformation is after that. That's what happens afterwards. And Paul's just saying, I've not attained yet. There's a lot of work left in me. You know? Now, I don't know what God would have to do with him. He doesn't mention much of it. But he knows in his own heart, I got issues still. And God's working on me. It doesn't mean I'm less saved or not saved or need to be saved more. I have all of it. But he's working on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, if Paul tells you there's one thing that he does, this is something you underline. Forgetting those things which are behind. We have a whole movement in Christendom that does nothing but go back and revisit and work through and try to overcome and try to... No, Paul says, no, I leave it all behind me. I'm pressing on forward. I don't spend my time back there. I don't meditate back. You want to paralyze your walk with Jesus and your growth and your change and the things that need to happen in your life, the things that he's taking you to? Live in the past. Live in all the hurt and the, and the pain and all the wrongs that were ever done to you. Forgive them. That's why forgiveness exists. Forgive them so you can go forward. You cannot live back here. You cannot sit there and say, I know, but you remember that one time when just get over it and forgive them. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying there aren't wounds there, but he wants to heal those wounds. He doesn't want to live in them. You can't keep picking at the scab. Paul says, I've, I forget those things which are behind. I, I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. God has such wonderful things for you. You don't have to fix your past in order to move forward with what God has for you. You have to leave your past in order for God to move forward with you. I've got so many good works for you to walk in. Forget all those that that you missed or all that time you spent. had a conversation with another. I've wasted too much of my time of my life. So much could have been done. Well, there's nothing you could do about it. Unless you have a time machine. And you don't. You know when Calvary Chapel started? You know how old Chuck Smith was when Calvary Chapels started? He was in his 40s. I don't know why it's surprising to me, but his ministry, there's 1,200 churches worldwide now. He died when he was 80-something. His, his ministry didn't start until he was 40. That's when it began. That's when that movie that everybody went and saw, he was 40 when that took place. Or older. I'm not exactly sure. He's not, he's not under 40. He's like 40 or 50 years old when that happened. That's amazing. I don't know how old you are. But if you started today, 
you could probably plant 1,200 churches by the time you die. Anybody in this room. You get it? God's got so much more. Unless, I don't know, i got to think about all those times people didn't listen to my sermons. <laughs> what a waste of time. Leave those things in the past. Move forward. God has so much for us. He can do so much in so little time. If you just focus on what he wants to do for you today and tomorrow and the next day, not what happened in the past. Forgive them. I press on towards the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those are the things I'm striving for. Therefore, because I'm doing that, let us, as many as are mature, that's not a dig. He's saying, please understand this. If you're not here yet, this is where God wants to take you. This isn't something that's for Paul and not for me. This is just flat-out Christian maturity. If you're mature, have this mind. The mind that I have. You need to have this mind to be a mature Christian. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Now, we already talked about where he's going in chapter 4. And there's no... It's not a coincidence that he starts off this very chapter with, guys, can we rejoice? Because these two folks that are arguing at this church have no joy anymore. Because they're not forgetting the things of the past. They're not forgiving one another. They're not walking in mercy. They're not able to move forward because they're living in the moment and it's just brewing and bubbling, you know. Rejoice. I can't rejoice. I'm still mad at Eunice over here, you know. Well, then you need to forgive Eunice because you need to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Count these things in the past. Count them as refuse. Put them in the rearview mirror. Forgive. Have mercy. Be conformed into his image. He's not bringing that stuff up. Why are you? Verse 17. Brethren, Join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things." I want you to walk in the example that we've set for you, and I want you to look for others that are walking in this same example. Those are people that you follow. Those are people that you encourage. These other people, I'm not telling you to put them out of your life, but understand this, they need ministry. They don't minister. They need what you have. You don't need what they have. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our citizenship is not here. Our, what he's getting at is our rights are not here. My rights are in heaven. Do you have the right for justice in the... In, here you do, you're supposed to, but 
He's saying, I don't want you to worry about your rights and your justice. I want you to forgive and I want you to have mercy and I want you to be conformed. What if Jesus demanded his rights on the cross? None of us would be here. It wouldn't be Christianity, period. Are you going to crucify me? No, thank you. Because I'm innocent. You're the guilty ones. You want justice? All right. Lined up 8 billion crosses. You're all getting crucified because I'm the only one here worthy of not being crucified. But if I'm being conformed into his image, I need to put down my hammer and nails, first of all, for others. And carry my own cross and be prepared for that mercy and that forgiveness that God wants me to give to them. They don't have anything for me. I have for them. And that's where we close tonight. It's a big deal. He spends an entire chapter of four chapters, that's 25% of the letter, talking about religiosity and the difference between what they have as born-again believers and what is trying to be thrust upon them. Be careful. Guard yourselves. Guard that wonderful salvation you have in Christ, that relationship, that personal relationship. It cannot be added to by Rituals, it cannot be added at all. It's perfect the way it is, and it's working in you, and you need to be patient and let God do that. We're so impatient. We're so impatient. I'm impatient with people's testimonies. You haven't been delivered yet? Uh, no, I'm still struggling with that. You say that enough times in church to people, they'll put a mask on for you. I don't want that heat every time I come to church. Yes, I've been delivered. It's wonderful. I've been delivered. When you haven't been. We need to be patient with each other, but we need to be patient with ourselves too. Let God do that work in us. Let him begin. It is an instant. There's some things he takes right away. I don't know why. Don't ask me. Don't come up here and say, I've been praying for this for 20 years. Well, so have I. You know That he took away, I mean, Instantly, and this is still here 30 years later. And I still work through this and ask for forgiveness for these things. I don't know why my mind goes there. I don't know why my anger goes, I don't know why those things trigger me. I don't know why. I know they're wrong, but there they are, you know. I don't put a, I don't put a mask on. I don't ever want to put a mask on because once we put the mask on, we stop letting Jesus touch those things in our life and work on those things. And I will be stuck there forever. I don't want that. Paul apparently had some too. I'm not alone in this. He's the one that says, I haven't attained. Well, you know what he means by that. I'm still working through some things. He doesn't put a mask on. And if anybody, if, if he can do that, so can we. So when someone comes to you for the 450th time, or what does Jesus say, 490th time, and says, I got to ask you forgiveness for this one thing. That's why he says you need to forgive him. Because we're still working it out. But he's, he's working it out. That's the good thing. He's not stopping coming for forgiveness. He's not stopping confessing. He's not stopping saying. He's not, he hasn't got to that place in his mind where he says, you know what, I think it's okay that I'm doing this. Then we're stuck, you know. We've got to keep, keep at it. We've got to keep eating the Word of God. Hitting every subject. Repeating sometimes. Because we need repetition. Reminding sometimes. Because we need reminding. 
We need him to touch the same areas of our life over and over and over again because sometimes treatment needs to be repeated. I don't brush my teeth once. I've got to brush them over and over. Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, wash all of me. No, you've been washed. We just need some tidying. We need to get your feet washed again. That's our walk. And what a gracious, beautiful, merciful world we live in, right? If we'd all understand that about each other all the time, right? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your, your patience with us. Help us have patience with us and with each other. I pray that I would have that forgiveness for others. I'm not asking for more injustices in my life. But if I honestly want to be conformed into your image, I want you to give to me and do to me everything that needs to happen for that to take place. I don't want anything taken off the table. So whatever you need to do to conform me into your image, because you are beautiful and perfect, and I want to be just like you, then do it. And help me to be glad about it. And help me to win. And help me to do it right. And help me to hear your spirit. And to walk in your spirit. And to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for all you've done for us so far. We, we, we're so excited for what you're going to do for us this, the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'd love to pray with you.